Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to be here with all of you. How is everybody doing? I feel like summer is just definitely coming. I'm hearing all the birds singing in the morning. It is just beautiful. And I notice mood improves. And so I hope that you're experiencing some of that. Today, I want to dig a little bit more into how to decrease emotional eating. Now, this is a massive topic. So today, we're just going to work on defining what actually even is emotional eating, what are four of the phases that I see with healing emotional overeating, and then what could be some of the steps that you could take. I sort of thought of five different things here for how to decrease this, and it's going to range greatly between some nutrition tips that I would give all the way to mindset. So let's dig into this today. First of all, when I heard the term emotional eating in the past, I thought of you know, eating a whole pizza, being in bed crying with Ben and Jerry's. And that's what I would think of with emotional eating. And what I want to tell you is there's physical hunger, which is your body gives you signals that it's hungry. So maybe a rumbling tummy, maybe you get low energy, maybe you start to get distracted. There are lots of signs of physical hunger. And physical hunger, we always eat. But a lot of people are not just eating for physical hunger, they're eating for emotional hunger. So that's any reason other than physical hunger when you're eating, that is you emotionally eating. And so this can be things like, and by the way, this is very normalized in our culture. So for example, if you go to a birthday party and you are not hungry, but there's cake, and so you say, yeah, I'm going to have a piece, where you're eating dinner, and again, you're not hungry at the end of dinner, but everyone's having dessert, and you choose to partake in that. Again, that's emotional eating. Other reasons, again, I could just go on and on. You're you're at a dinner and someone offers you a bite of something, you're not hungry, you eat it. I mean, we could just, we could literally, it does not end. You have a snack when you're not hungry just because you're bored at work. So emotional eating, it's usually pretty rampant and normalized in our society. And the problem with emotional eating, it's it's that a lot of times it is stopping you from either feeling certain feelings because you're masking over it or the larger issue that I see when people come to me initially is that it stops them from reaching their weight loss goals. And so there's actually a lot going on with emotional eating, but today we're just going to skim the surface, but then I suspect in future episodes we're going to keep going deeper into this. So when I see emotional eating, so people have realized, okay, I'm not physically hungry. This is emotional hunger, meaning I'm eating for any reason other than physical hunger. I usually see four phases to them being able to stop this to stop doing that. So phase number 1 is they catch it after. So you've you've already overeaten all the way, all the things have gone down, everything afterward and you notice that you say, "Oh my, I can't believe I did that." And sometimes there's some shame, some regret, depending on what severity that is, we can see if it's a classification of binge eating disorder or not. But just in general when we're talking about just run of the mill overeating and emotional eating, Phase one is you catch it after. That's where most people are at prior to coming to work with me or prior to you working with a physician. That's usually what's happening. Okay, phase two is 
you're actually in the middle of doing it, but you you can't stop it. So you're in the middle of realizing, I'm totally not hungry anymore. With my fork on the plate, I'm trying to find the best bites, right? You ever been there? You're not hungry at all, but you want to keep eating. And so you look at like, how can I make this bite super appealing? <laughs> I mean, it looks like I'm laughing, but I can't be the only one that's noticed that as a thing with emotional eating where you're trying to find the best bites or you go in the pantry, you're not hungry. And you're like doing that scan of like, but what's going to be amazing, right? That's like an emotional eating trigger question. So anyway, so back to it. So phase two is you're catching it during, but you can't stop. Phase three is actually you notice it before, but you still do it. And this is actually super frustrating to people. This is actually they've been working with someone for a while, usually when this comes around, because the, the, the classic thing that people tell me is, I know I shouldn't do it. I knew I shouldn't do it. I said that to myself, but I still went and did it. So that's actually phase three, though. So notice, that's three out of four. The fourth phase, the most evolved, if you would, is catching it before and then you don't do it. This usually takes a lot of time, patience, practice, and it takes a while to get to this where you have the tools where you then don't need to go do that. That takes time. Now, what I want to tell you here is I just told you four phases and it sort of sounds like you escalate up, right? One, two, three, four. The challenge is if you really have a hard time with weight management, and again, I'm going to throw in that term if you have chronic obesity, what ends up happening is you usually don't stay at four. What ends up happening is there's some backsliding that occurs. So you maybe are doing tons of work. You're doing great. Maybe you're started on a medication. You're doing a bunch of mindset work and journaling and planning, and you're doing all these things. And you find that, yep, a lot of the time I catch it before. I don't do it. I'm so proud of myself. Amazing. But then you notice that sometimes you go to other phases where even though for weeks and weeks or months or however long you've been doing great, there are periods then where you'll suddenly be in the middle of eating too much and you think, oh my gosh, I'm not hungry anymore. Why am I doing this? So you realize, ah, I'm back to you know phase two, phase three. It's a continuum and it oscillates with time. And the quicker we can learn that it doesn't need to be statically perfect all the time. That's going to be something I talk about coming up here. The quicker you can give yourself, I like to use the word grace, but not to get all religious here, but the quicker you can have that compassion and understanding for yourself that this is going to ebb and flow, the more I see people staying in that zone for. Because even if they have some times where they notice it before, but they still do it or it's during it and they still eat it, they don't make it mean very much and they just keep on going. And so they're so easy to come back to stage four where they notice it and then don't do it. But if you're going to make it a problem that you're not staying at four all the time, then you likely are going to really struggle and go up and down and up and down. And then that translates to yo-yo dieting and weight going up and down 24-7. Okay, so that's number one, just real quick, the four phases with healing emotional overeating. We need lots of patience, lots of practice. So number one, you're going to catch it all the way after. Congratulations, you're starting this work. That's amazing that you have that awareness. That's number one. Number two, it's during it. You still can't stop it. That's still awareness. Congratulations. Number three, it's before you still do it. But hey, you've noticed it earlier. That's amazing that you're doing that. Number four, you notice it and you don't do it. Wow, that takes time. Okay, so now that you know kind of the four phases of that, so we've talked about the definition of emotional eating, eating for any reason other than physical hunger. Many triggers can involve that. And then we've talked about when you want to start to work on this, likely it's going to look different. And every time you work on this, by the way, 
it's always going to change. This is another thing. So we talked about there being different phases going up and down, but also realize as you're losing weight, emotional hunger will change. So maybe you really got a grip on all the super obvious things, and then it becomes more and more nuanced the more you work on this. So if, again, if this is a challenge for you, most people are not just immediately going to this version of food only as fuel. And so let's talk more about this. So when I'm talking about how to decrease emotional hunger, here are the five things I think the most about. Number one, the goal isn't zero. Okay, did everyone hear me? Everyone in the back, the goal isn't zero. So when I say this, I want to give an example with the, the clinical diagnosis of binge eating disorder. Most clinicians, if we're treating binge eating disorder, the goal is not that there's no binges. That's actually very triggering, the thought of you can never again binge. I mean, that anyone that has binge eating disorder, that's like super hot lava. We don't want to go there. The goal is, can we stabilize it more? Can we have maybe less times of it happening because you're doing so great all the other times? It's a setup for failure if we're going to expect zero. So being able to move past a time, there's this concept of there's a coach. I'll put her link down below to her information. And she talks about with binge eating disorder, you know, this concept of let it rain. So there's going to be times when it's going to rain. Are you going to have an umbrella? Are you going to know how to talk to someone about it? Are you to know how to support yourself during it. That is just as much a skill as it is to not have binges occur. So the goal is not zero with emotional eating, at least the way I teach stuff, how I help patients. My goal is not that you're 100% only using food for fuel. Typically, who I'm helping, they are coming from such a relationship with food where that's not a realistic goal in the beginning for us to set. You might evolve to that. That might be a place that you get to. But in the beginning, expecting that you're only going to eat when you're hungry and everything's going to go perfectly and you're going to have no emotional eating, you're really setting yourself up for failure. So the goal isn't zero. So I hope when you heard that, that the panic level went way down. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to stress. We want to decrease but entirely eliminating. Maybe you're not ready for that right now. Number two. This is the starting place. Okay, so number one was kind of like, just don't expect this to be perfect. Perfection's not the answer. Don't The goal isn't zero. Number two is really, if you want to bring down emotional eating, the biggest bang for your buck is going to be balancing your meals. When I say balancing your meals, here's what I mean. I mean not only balancing the food choices on the plate, but also balancing times that you're eating. And let me explain. So if you're someone, a lot of emotional eating can show up in patterns like, well, I kind of, I don't eat breakfast because I'm not hungry. And then I'm really busy at work. So I hardly have a bite or two. And then the next thing you know, people get home at the end of the day, they're ravenous, they're tired, they're frustrated, they're angry, and this massive overeat occurs. And it's just this thing where like they can't stop themselves. Again, not clinically binge eating disorder, but it's just every single time it's like Groundhog Day. And a lot of if we look at that, they're not giving themselves any support with they're not they're they're like overriding hunger signals and all of that during the day. And so one of the answers that we can do is start to work on balancing out what's happening earlier in the day. So I'm not even suggesting if you're not hungry for breakfast that you have to eat that, but maybe for lunch you say, you know, I'm going to pack XYZ 
and just at least pause for a few minutes and see, am I hungry? Do a check-in, see if I need to eat at that time. When we start to do that, when we start to balance out the times that you're eating, what you're going to notice is, oh, my urge to really overeat usually greatly goes down. The other thing I want you to focus on this with, with balancing things, it's that you're getting a good mix of some protein, some veg, some carb, but really making sure to focus on protein and veg. And the reason I bring this up, it's that often by the time you're in that emotional eating zone, you're not thinking about how to support yourself. So emotional eating is usually very much so urge-driven. It's that's going to taste good. I want that. It's things like that. Usually the things you're going for very high in the um, fat to carb ratio. So it's things like ice cream, chips, chocolate. And again, if you're not, you know, high five, congratulations. But the point is what I would encourage Even if you're going to go have that emotional overeat, that's fine. If you're going to go do that emotional eating, start out with some protein and veg. Just humor me on this. Make yourself in the fridge. Like, I'm going to throw out some ideas here. Again, when I work with my patients, I go much more into this. But make yourself in the fridge. It'll last a few days. Take some Greek yogurt. Do some ranch powder with it. Make it taste great. Have some veggies like carrots. The baby carrots last 100 years, right? (laughs) Have that in the fridge. And if you know at night, you're like, I'm not gonna be able to stop myself. I'm gonna go, you know, go eat these things like ice cream, all this stuff. I'm not hungry. First, have a few of those carrots with some of that Greek yogurt. You're gonna get some protein. You're gonna get some fiber. It's gonna slow you down. Your blood sugar is gonna be more regulated. And then, even if you go eat and do all those things, your blood sugar is gonna be more stable. We're gonna help break some patterns. This usually is the way forward. So, I always say add, don't subtract. So, if you're in those emotional eating patterns, sometimes the first thing I'll say is let's just add some protein and veggie first. And then what ends up happening is people are able to release those patterns. But if I sit here and say, I'm going to need you to feel your feeling right now, and I'm going to need you to completely eliminate it and stick to this calorie number and do all those things, do you see how it's not meeting you where you're at? So the first step here, usually, it's balancing the meals, balancing the times that you're eating, and then adding in those things that are more supportive to your blood sugar beforehand. So adding in some protein and good fiber, meaning veggies, things like that, even if you're going to go do that. A really good book here, if you are lost, I just said a lot of information, (laughs) and you think, I don't know everything that she's talking about. I would read the book. It's called The Glucose Revolution. And it's really all about techniques to balance your blood sugar. I'm going to put the link down below in the show notes. Let me say I'll make a future episode all about how to balance your blood sugar. I really like her tips. They're very practical, what she talks about. And also there's tons of evidence in that book. So she's showing all the studies. It's it's a really great book. What I want to say, if you're going to go read that book, you take one thing out of it and you go implement it. You don't need to do all the techniques. So I'm going to give you an example. She's going to talk about apple cider vinegar. You don't need to go do that, okay? So it's like there's going to be lots of ideas and lots of different things. But at the end of the day, I want you to take one simple principle and then you go implement that. If this sounded good to you, balancing things out more, balancing the meals, balancing the times, what you're eating before you go have that emotional overeat, just start with that. And this book can be a really good place for that. All right, number three is going to be that I need you to have a plan and have options. A lot of what I do in my clinic is that I help with that because we we have a planner that my patients can use. But literally, when you're having an emotional overeat, 
It's you won't be able to be cool and calm and collected, right? Planning is the best chance that you have so that you can be successful in those times. So this is what it looks like. You make sure once a week that you get your house stocked with a few staples. So for example, and again, I don't know everyone's food preferences, but I'm just going to throw out some things. You make sure, yeah, I've got some apples. So if I ever want to do apples and peanut butter with cinnamon, got it. All right. I make sure that I also have some Greek yogurt. Why? Because it's so versatile. I can do fruit with it. It turns sweet. I can do, but again, I'm mentioning ranch powder again. (laughs) It turns salty. I can have some cut up veggies that last a long time. I can have frozen veggies. My point is you make sure that there are certain things that are always in the house. Things for me include Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, veggies, apples. What else? some cheese. There's just certain things that it does not matter what day of the week it is, even if it's days and days since we've gone shopping, sliced cheese, it's going to last a while in the fridge, right? But my point is, if I reach that point where it's like, oh, I just want to go, I just, I'm frustrated, I just want to go eat. If I'm not hungry, number one, I'm going to have techniques that I can use for myself. But number two, let's say that I am hungry, but I forgot to plan the most amazing meal. Doesn't matter. I've got options. If you do not have easy access options, it will not work for you, period, end stop. It's not going to work for you. You need to have things, by the way. (laughs) So who was telling me this? A client, oh God, I forgot the exact story, but she was telling me she had food prepped, But again, it was in these massive containers, and that wasn't easy enough for her. So then she would try to go to work in the morning, and then then she would have to sit there and do the smaller portion. So some morning she forgot to take it, and it was like it was not enough of getting her to the finish line. So I said to her, listen, it's not enough to prep it. (laughs) You need to have it literally where you just grab the container and go. So she had to do that extra step to help herself out. You've got to help yourself out, especially if you are someone that is really busy, maybe like me, you have young kids, maybe you have a demanding career, whatever the case might look like. You have people grabbing your attention. Like I hear this from teachers, they might get just like a few minutes at lunch, but otherwise a lot's being asked of them. We can't ask you in the middle of a busy day to sit there and have to make great decisions. Let's make those decisions when you are clear, calm, and collected and focused on what you want to actually achieve. Planning and having lots of options literally immediately available. Um, There's an episode, I'm not sure when I release this, if it'll already be out or not, but I talked to a nutritionist. And one of the things I love about her approach is that you don't take the grapes and stick them in the fridge right right when you buy it. You literally are going to sit there and take it off and put them in the little containers so it's good to go the minute you need it. This might sound intense, but you slowly build up to these things of planning and having options. Step one, the first practical step, if you've done none of this, would be work on your grocery list. Work on a grocery list. And here's what I'm gonna recommend is that you have a section of that grocery list where it is always staples that come in the house. So every week you reorder those same things. And then there can be like the variety section where you order other stuff. But for example, staples, like I've already talked about Greek yogurt and cottage cheese, things like that. I realize eggs is a big one that I forgot to mention. And again, I'm a vegetarian, but you include whatever in on that. The other one that I have in in the house all the time are chickpeas because I can do it in the oven and make them kind of crispy if I'm wanting that. I can do it on a salad where I can do a boiled egg. And, you know, there's just so much variety, right? But have that section of your list that's always staples. So every week we get this no matter what. I know that that's always in the house. I don't need to think about it. All right. So that's the planning and having options part. 
Number four here, I put spend time not overeating when it used to be time you did it. (laughs) I know that sounds obvious. And you're like, thanks. Thanks, Matea. All right. Spend time not overeating when it used to be a time that you did. I'm going to give you an example. After dinner, if you always got a snack when you weren't hungry, let's try to say, hey, two nights this evening, I want to not do that. What you're going to do sometimes when you're overeating, it equals underfeeling. You're not feeling your emotions at that time. So we've got to express that a little in a controlled way. And what I mean by this is often we need to peel that food back to see what's really there. It's okay to let it out. It's going to be a new world when food isn't involved, when you're not eating for reasons except physical hunger. So let's come back to the example with at night, you've always been having a snack and you're not hungry. What happens for you if we slowly explore we we agree to having that that experiment this week where as many times as you're able, or maybe you say just once or twice, do whatever does not set panic alive in you. That if I'm not hungry at night, I'm not going to have that snack. And you need to see what comes up for you. And there might be lots of, this is really unfair. I really want to eat that. Why can my husband eat that? And we need to see what's coming up. That's usually not the real reason. There's something else under that. Let me give you an example. This, I really like it. It's going to taste good. This isn't fair. I've had a long day. What it usually comes down to is that you're really tired, really exhausted, and you don't know any other ways to take care of yourself besides making a snack at night. It gives you a little bit of that dopamine hit. You get to then think better thoughts about yourself. You get to relax. Oh, this is so nice to sit here and do this. We need to build out a new story because what's happening there is not helping you. It's not serving you. But we need to do that slowly. So this is my point why I don't day one with people sit there and start counting calories and doing things like that. Usually there's so much of this other stuff going on that we can lovingly slowly work on and kind of unpack and unpeel. And it leads you to actually have a much more healed relationship with food And you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I can't have that. It's more like, I'm not hungry. If I wasn't eating right now, how else would I solve for this? What's actually going on? I love you. Can you tell me more? What do you actually need right now? Can I figure out ways to give that to you that don't involve food? These are conversations that need to be had with ourselves. And so I want you to spend some time when you would normally overeat to not overeat and to sit there and feel what needs to happen. And it's okay to feel frustrated, to feel angry that this is even a thing, that you even have to sit here and work on it. But no, the more you do this, the easier it gets. In the beginning, it feels so overwhelming because you've never sat there and done this kind of work before. And so it's an opportunity to have lots of compassion and love for yourself that you're even willing to do this work on yourself. So take some time when you say no to the food in the name of feeling and seeing what's actually there. All right, number five that I have on here, how to decrease emotional eating, it's to expect and allow. I'm not the one that came up with this. I heard it on, I think the podcast is called Brain Over Binge. I hope I'm getting the name right. Again, I'm going to link all of this down below. And what I want to tell you is that there was this great episode. One of my clients actually told me about it, you know, because I can't listen to everything. Shocker. I do love a million podcasts, though. And she brought up this concept of expect and allow. You expect that, yeah, there's going to be times when I think these things. 
And then I'm going to allow them because it's okay. It's okay that at the end of the day, I'm tired and exhausted and I learn that a bag of chips feels like a really good way to solve it. I'm just going to expect that this thought in my mind is going to tell me, go grab that bag of chips because I've always done that. And I'm going to just allow the thought to be there, to not act on it, to look at this in a different way. All right, we went through a lot today. (laughs) This is like a crash course in emotional eating. So you've learned today how to even know if you're physically hungry or not. And something I didn't bring up in the beginning, I know I've said it in a lot of other episodes, but one of the easiest ways I see to distinguish physical and emotional hunger is you always ask yourself, would some food that you have no desire for, like a boiled egg, a cheese stick, a piece of dry chicken, would that solve this hunger right now? And if the answer is no, then it's not physical hunger. So you know that you're in a different zone then. Forgot to mention that. You also now hopefully have an understanding that there are different phases to this and that it's not static. So it's not like I just, whoop, I go and I solve it and I'm good. You have understanding for, oh, I'm going to have to figure out a way to manage this for life. I'm going to have to have some compassion on myself. I might, and I don't like to use the word backslide, but I might have periods where it doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look, sort of having an open mind about that. And then we kind of talked through these five different aspects of number one, the goal's not zero here, especially if this is something that has really been a challenge for you for a long time, that balance is usually always going to be the key. This is always the thing, by the way, when I have patients that are going through periods where there's lots of work stress and they're, oh, I can't lose weight. And they're just, a lot of things are challenging for them. I always come back to, is the balance there? 99.999% of the time it's not. So they've gotten either super rigid with what they're eating or they're not doing any stress management techniques. So there's usually balance is not occurring. Number three, you're going to plan and have some options. Again, we don't have to get too rigid, but if a good option isn't there for you, right? And it's not about good food, bad food, but it's, you know, I sort of teach good, better, best as far as how foods feel for us and what we do. If you don't have it available to you, you will not do it. We talked about number four, spending some time with not overeating so that we can stop overeating and start feeling. So we're not under feeling all the time and we know what's there and that we know what to actually solve for. And then to really just expect and allow that this process might not look the way you thought it was going to look. I would love to get your thoughts on this. So if you ever have any topics that you'd like me to cover, things like that, you can definitely find me on social. All my links will be down below. And I want to encourage you, please leave a review if you've been loving this podcast. It helps us to get the word out to other people. This is a very different way of doing things, how I'm talking about it, where we really mix evidence-based medicine along with some tools that this more of the cognitive tools that really help with how we're thinking about things. Otherwise, it's a very challenging road long term. All right. I hope you all have a great rest of the week and I'll see you next week.